Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. This week on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to dig up another batch of buried treasures. We're going to play some music from underneath the mainstream radar that you need to hear. And later on, Greg and I will review the newest from Beach Boy, Brian Wilson. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Hey, kids. This is Kid Rock with a special announcement for you. This whole debate on downloading music illegally and stealing it, I guess you will, has just really gone way too far. But what I'd like to encourage all of you to do at this point, let's level the playing field. Steal everything. I mean, if you need a new MP3 player or computer, do you know how much money Apple and Microsoft have? Go in there. Get a new laptop. Grab it and run. Uh, you need a new car? Toyota. Toyota's unbelievable. And it's a foreign car company, so who cares? Go steal a Toyota. Walk on that dealership, hot wire it up, drive it off the lot. Once again, this is Kid Rock saying it's okay to illegally download music, and it's okay to steal anything else you need, too. So go get them. That is funny stuff, Greg. That is Bob <laughs> Ritchie, better known as Kid Rock, doing a, a YouTube PSA about the evils of illegal downloading. But not only is Kid Rock against illegal downloading, he's against the legal pay-for kind of downloading. There was an interesting story a couple of weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal that has once again renewed the debate about uh, iTunes and about the single. It turns out that since the release of Rock and Roll Jesus, the 11th album that Bob Ritchie, Kid Rock, has given us in a long career, way back in October of 2007, it has sold 1.7 million copies. And it began to do it in sort of a stealth way. Mm -hmm. It debuted big on the Billboard chart when it came out, but then it went underground. Nobody care. I mean, look, let's face it, 11 albums from Kid Rock, yeah. you know, I mean, that's one idea Ten and a half flogged, <laughs> you know, way too long, right? But all of a sudden, over the summer, driven by a single that turned out to pretty much be one of these songs of the summer, all summer long, it started to sell more and more copies, went back to the top of the Billboard chart, hitting uh, as high as number three again, and during the 22-week stretch there, sold more each week than it had the previous week. That's, you know, pretty impressive. Now, this has Atlantic Records looking at it and saying, he's done all this without selling this music on iTunes. Mm -hmm. He's selling through traditional record stores and Amazon. The reason they didn't want to go to iTunes is because Bob Ritchie says, this is an album. I want people, <laughs> to, hear, I want people to hear the whole thing. I don't want them to just download a single. He's that's, an artist. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, this is like Pet Sounds, Rock and Roll Jesus, right? Or the Dark Side of the Moon. Can't be broken apart. But what Atlantic is really after is why sell somebody one good song for 99 cents when they can force you to buy the whole album at 14 or $15 right. in a retail store. It's prompting Atlantic to look at this as, well, maybe we ought to do more of this. And so you have the desperate record industry once again saying, why should we just sell you one song for 99 cents when we can sell you the whole album? And, and that's what's wrong with the music industry. Yeah, well, they're just crazy because, uh, first of all, iTunes is the biggest 
retailer in the music industry right now, bar none. So to keep their artists off of iTunes is just stupid management. But I think the deeper issue here, Jim, is that the record industry has got a lot of problems with Steve Jobs and Apple dominating the business in the way that they have. And and they're rebelling against it. They don't want to keep feeding the trough here. They feel like Jobs is ripping them off. He's created this device, the iPod, which is filled with illegally downloaded music. I mean, only 3% of the music on iPods Mm -hmm. technically is legal. The rest of it apparently has been downloaded. They've done studies to show that. Yeah, but at the same time, this year, at the beginning of this year, 2008, the iStore, you know, officially passed Walmart as the single biggest retailer. So still a lot of people are buying. But get this, Jim. Kid Rock is going to put Rock and Roll Jesus, (laughs) what an album title, uh, he is going to make it available digitally, online, but not through iTunes. He's going to give it to Amazon. He's going to give it to Walmart, Rhapsody, Best Buy. Their websites are going to be able to sell that album in the next couple of weeks. So it's not like he's totally sneering at digital downloading. What he's sneering at really here is Steve Jobs and iTunes. Well, they have an issue with uh, iTunes and Steve Jobs. They also have an issue with singles. You know, I mean, let's face it. There are some albums that only have one or two good songs. Rock and Roll Jesus is a different story. Does it even have one or two good songs? Mm. I'll hold back on my opinion. Why don't we play this song? I mean, inexplicably, in the first year of its release, we have not reviewed the 11th album by Kid Rock. It's about time we catch up, right, Greg? Let's play all summer long the big runaway hit this summer. Here's Kid Rock on Sound Opinions. It was 1989, my thoughts were short, my hair was long, caught somewhere between a boy and man. She was 17 and she was far from in between, it was summertime in northern Michigan. Summer Long, the big summer hit uh, from Kid Rock on Sound Opinions, the uh, the record that's been out for over a year called Rock and Roll Jesus. Look at this record cover. It's uh, 
It's basically a ripoff, and, you know, a loving ripoff, I'm sure, of ACDC's Black and Black. On the back cover, we've got uh, Kid Rock pimped out looking like uh, Superfly from the early 70s. So he's, you know, talk about truth in advertising. This guy does not mess around. Well, uh, and he's your rock and roll Jesus. He wants to give you sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, you know, there's truth in advertising here. I mean, we're talking about rock and roll Jesus. We're talking about songs called Roll On and So Hot, H-O-T-T. You don't really have to go past the song titles to, to get what's on this record. It's, we're, we are not talking about an intellectual giant here. We're talking about a guy who's recycling a lot of 70s cliches. I mean, All Summer Long is essentially ringtone rock. It's taking two big ringtones. I mean, you can yeah, hear yeah. Leonard Skinner's, you know, Sweet Home Alabama well, but, on a lot of cell phones these Werewolves days. Werewolves of London, you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole piano thing. I used to really be amused by Kid Rock. I mean, there was a certain amount of swagger. And the guy is actually a very smart interview. Both you and I have talked to him many yeah. times. Who knew what he was doing when he was he bringing... He still knows what he's doing. Well, when he was bringing classic rock into hip-hop and coming up with Yodeling in the Valley and those early hits, I mean, th- those were great songs and there was a style and a swagger. They weren't heavy lifting. They weren't rocket science. But, but you know, he's become worse than Lenny Kravitz. I mean, he's become a parody of himself. Well, it, it's it's really tough to live down Pamela Anderson, but I see him in the, in the great Midwestern tradition of Grand Funk Railroad, Bob Seeger, Ted Nugent, Mitch Ryder, those kind of artists. Very blue collar, very mainstream. He's not trying to please the critics. He doesn't care what we think. But he, you know, he's grossing $330,000 a night on tour, getting 10,000 fans a night to come out and see him play. And that's all he cares about. Somehow this guy's been able to survive. You do not need the 11th Kid Rock album. It sounds just no. like the uh, the previous 10. If anything, it skews more towards that country and uh, classic rock side. There's much less hip-hop and rapping on this record than his earlier releases. And buy it, burn it, trash it? It's a trash it record. I would, you know, I'm tempted to say burn it just because it would tick him off more. <laughs> Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Them's my treasure, and I'm a burying them where no one will know where they're at but me. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and uh, right now we want to continue a Sound Opinions tradition. Every few months we like to go a little bit beyond the mainstream radar, beyond the typical records we might review on this show, the records with true news value, let's say, and just find those records we've been obsessing about that may not necessarily grab the mainstream attention, but uh, certainly deserve to be heard because we think they're great records. Jim, I know you've got a stack of about 300 records sitting in front of you. I'm ready to go. Four or five hundred myself. There's only one way to start this. We can't possibly do them all. We've got to flip a coin. We've got Gerlnick on one side. We've got Bangs on the other. You've got Bangs. I've got Gerlnick. There goes the coin, and it's Gerlnick. Peter Gerlnick. Okay, he that means you get to go me. first. I love it. So one of my buried treasures that I've been listening to obsessively the last few months is a band called Chicha Libre. They're actually out of Brooklyn, although they sound very Latin American. They are in the same pocket as their fellow New York City band, Antibalas. Uh, Antibalas is playing out of a tradition rooted in African music and uh, Femi Kute, the great Nigerian saxophonist, and, and channeling that and making their own particular sound out of it. Chicha Libre is going to South America and playing the music of Peruvian psychedelia circa 1970, 71, 72. 
there was a whole bunch of really cool bands coming out of Latin America at that time playing this really bizarre blend of ethnic music and psychedelic rock, mm. and they're channeling that tradition. Chicha is the name of a corn-based liquor favored by the Incas in pre-Columbian days. So you can sort of get a, a hint of where they're coming from on this record. Sonido Amazonico. The song I'm going to play is Tres Pesajeros, and uh, it gives you a little idea of what they're all about. I think you, you're going to hear some surf guitar in here, some of that spaghetti western guitar that Ennio Morricone made famous. The rhythms are straight from Peru, and uh, you've got a little bit of that Dawn stereo sound that Esquivel made famous out of Mexico in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. A really unique hybrid from Chicha Libre on Sound Opinions. Pesayeros by Chicha Libre. Thanks for taking us south of the border, Mr. Cott. I'm going to go overseas to the UK and a band called Ladytron. I think of them in a lot of ways as similar to Stereolab. Both of them are taking, talk about Esquivel, that uh, sci-fi bachelor pad music and uh, synth pop and putting them together. But whereas uh, Stereolab has, has sort of stayed 
monolithic, you know, bringing mm-hmm. in a little bit of this and that through many albums. Ladytron has done very different sounds on, on each of its succeeding albums. They've done a kind of abrasive post-punk thing. They've done a straight synth-pop thing. On this new album, Velocifero, which I think is the way to say it, they're doing, uh, you know, a real goth turn. It's sleek, it's dark, it's sinister, it's about uh, creepy black cats moving through the night, <laughs> you know, from the cover art to the sound. Much as the modern goth world is embracing a weird industrial sound that's it's kind of metal and kind of synth dance music, Ladytron's going in that direction. It's two girls, two guys, those those wonderful female vocals always pull me in. And I just have loved this record more and more the more I've lived with it. And I think by the time we get to Halloween, this is going to be the soundtrack of Scary 2008, okay? <laughs> I'm Not Scared is the name of the song I want to play. Ladytron on Sound Opinions, and I, I am a little scared. I'm Not Scared from Ladytron, one of Jim's under-the-radar buried treasures. Coming up next from Sound Opinions in Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to play more of our buried treasures, and later on, Jim and I are going to rate the new album from rock legend Brian Wilson.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. No, do not adjust your speakers. That rumble you are hearing is a uh, track from uh, my next buried treasure. The band is called Torch, and the name of the record is Meanderthal, and that's a little bit of the title track from that record. Torch is a quartet from Miami, and uh, they just released their second record, as I said, called Meanderthal. Jim, what these guys are doing is, is pretty interesting in that they are from that doom end of the metal spectrum. We talked about heavy metal, the dawn of heavy metal, a few weeks ago and how it spawned all these subgenres. And this doom genre is one of them. Heavy-duty rumble, low-end tunings. But what they've done is they've combined it with uh, a more of a pop sensibility. They've written much shorter songs than your traditional doom metal band does, and they've gotten away from some of those cookie monster vocals for more of a soaring anthemic feel to the choruses. And on this record, I think they've done it exquisitely well. I'm going to play a track from it called Healer, which uh, gives you an example of how they've combined this heaviness of metal with more of this pop sensibility. It's uh, the band called Torch, with an E at the end, pronounced Torch, though, (laughs) on Sound Opinions. That's Healer from Torch, one of my buried treasures. What do you got next on your list, Jim? I'm going to go from the uh, the heavy to the ultra lightweight, I think some people would say, Greg. You know, we had to talk about the Jonas Brothers a couple of weeks ago because we do that sort of thing here on Sound Opinion, so so you don't have to at home, okay? <laughs> we wanted to explain yeah. that uh, cultural phenomenon, the latest installment of Bubblegum. Bubblegum is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there has been great bubblegum through the history of pop music. You know, I, I will wax I rhapsodic about, you know, the Archies and that whole, the banana <laughs> splits, man, right? Okay. I'll tell you what's great bubblegum right now. What is a great bubblegum young boy band? I am increasingly beguiled by the Naked Brothers Band. 
you probably don't know about this because your kids are a little older. But on Nickelodeon, the Naked Brothers are, are two brothers, Alex and uh, Nat Wolf, who have formed what you know is supposed to be the greatest band in the universe. And they go around the country playing, and they play in New York City at home. And it's all young kids, somewhere between 9 and 12 years old. And unlike the Jonas Brothers, it's not this subterfuge of sex. It's not all about, you know, we're, we're selling you sex while we're wearing our purity ring. And we're holier than now, but you know what we really want. These are 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds who sing about the sort of things that 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds actually think about. Mm -hmm. There's some crush stuff going on, but there's also obsessions about how cool cars are. And this song that I'm going to play, which is called Banana Smoothie, which is just about how wonderful banana smoothies are. Now, I know that you are you are stifling it right now because you want to <laughs> let me have it both barrels. Let me tell you that working with their father, who was a really respected jazz musician in the L.A. scene, these brothers who, who were put together on TV much like the monkeys. Their mom was Melanie Mayron from 30-something. She came up with this idea, yeah. did a movie. That became a series. Okay, uh, it, You know, the kids are writing their own songs, and they are singing them. They're getting production help from Dad. The band is actually playing. This is There's this kind of wonderful garage mentality going on here this is really like what jonathan richmond would sound like if he was fronting the monkeys instead of <laughs> of the modern lovers there's this kind of neat sensibility about it that that is kind of retro in a way but also very modern i, I just love it to pieces uh this is from the first naked brothers album the self-titled one the new one is just as good it's called i don't want to go to school and what better title is there for a 12 year old to write about but banana smoothies is a song that kills me here are the naked brothers on sound opinions
That's the Naked Brothers banana smoothie. Obviously, they're not always trafficking in the Calypso. You know, there's a lot There's a lot of depth here to this group. Uh, I'm glad you hear that depth, Jim. Uh, you know, whatever hallucinogens you are on, I, I would like to try some of those sometime. Thank you. They're as good as the banana splits. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> All right, more buried treasures. One of my favorite artists of the last 15 years or so has been Sam Phillips, and I think she's criminally overlooked. Her new record is out. It's called Don't Do Anything. It is a record that she produced without her longtime producer and husband, T-Bone Burnett. She has broken up with him both in her private life and in her public life. T-Bone is no longer producing her records. But T-Bone is still very much Sam's friend because uh, when he produced the uh, record for Robert Plant and Alison Krauss last year, Raising Sand, he brought them one of Sam's songs. That song is called Sister Rosetta Goes Before Us, a beautiful song that he pitched to Plant and Krauss. They loved it. They recorded it. It's on this million-selling, Grammy-winning record. Phillips has included it on her own record, and I think her version of that song blows away the one that Krauss and Plant did. And that's really saying something because they did a wonderful job with it. But Phillips wrote the song, and, and she wrote this uh, this song along with a bunch of others uh, on this record during this time of p- turmoil in her life. Obviously, something was ending. Uh, a long-time relationship was ending, and uh, she was moving on. And, and this record is about drawing that line in the sand and saying, okay, enough is enough. One part of my life is over. I'm moving on. And how do you get through that? Well, she invokes Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was this amazing performer in the in the 40s. If you've ever seen a video of Rosetta Tharp, you can you can go on YouTube right now and actually watch this guitar playing uh, woman in high heels singing these gospel songs with sort of a pop sensibility to them. And and there's just sort of a brightness that we will get through this together somehow. That I can see where where Phillips is invoking this in this particular song. She's going through this tough time in her life, but she hears music up above, and Sister Rosetta is calling to her and saying, it's going to be okay. This is the album Don't Do Anything from Sam Phillips, and here's the song. Sister Rosetta goes before us on Sound Opinions. Strange things are happening every day I hear the music up above my head The side of my heart has left me again I hear music up above Secrets are written in the sky Looks like I've lost the love I've never found Though the sound of hope has left me Sister Rosetta goes before us from Sam Phillips. Jim, what's next on your list? 
Greg, I'm going to talk about a new collaboration between two artists who both have long-time followings. Reckless Eric first came to the fore uh, on the Stiff Records roster of the early 70s in the days just post-punk. He was more of a power popper, had a huge hit with Whole Wide World, if you recall, and uh, you know hasn't really been heard of a whole lot ever mm-hmm. since. Amy Rigby, on the other hand, played in a lot of bands that were deep in the underground, the indie rock scene. Uh, you know, the, there was the last roundup and then the shams. She really kind of broke out in 96 with Diary of a Mod Housewife, her first solo album, got a whole lot of attention. I wasn't usually fans of either of these two artists, but when they have just now come together for a self-titled album, Amy Rigby and Reckless Eric, you know, I gotta confess, I don't even love the whole album, but there's this one song that is absolutely killing me. One of the stupidest things in the world when you're driving around in the city, you see all these women walking around in flip-flops. I don't know why that bothers me. It just bothers me. It's like of all the, like, chunks of concrete and the dirt and the grime and the horribleness and even worse though than women walking around in flip-flops in the city is men walking around in sandals all right i don't want to be really judgmental about this but amy rigby and and reckless eric have written a whole song about why it's stupid when men wear sandals even though the romans and jesus christ did it that doesn't mean you should and this is just like you never you ever have one of those like thoughts that you could rant about for ten thousand words but somebody finally puts it into a great succinct pop song and this is it, huh? This is it. This is Men in Sandals by Amy Rigby and Reckless Eric on Sound Opinions. Jesus did it, so I guess it's all right. But no matter how hard I try, I can't get used to it. And who am I to deny them their right? But if you ask me, there's really no excuse for it. Men in Sandals. Look at the Romans. Wait, I think I'd rather Amy Rigby and Reckless Eric laying down the law, men in sandals, one of Jim's buried treasures. We're going to be back in a minute with more buried treasures on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, plus a review of the new album from Brian Wilson. But in the meantime, if you want to comment on anything we've said on this show or contribute one of your own buried treasures, send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org or give us a call at 1-888-859-1800.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Jim and I are running down the last of our buried treasures, records underneath the mainstream radar that you need to hear. Here's one of mine. It's from an Argentine-Uruguayan tango fusion band called Bajo Fondo. Mar Dulce is the name of the record, and the track is Grand Gauganal. It is the uh, side project of one of the leading rock and espanol producers. In other words, the guy behind a lot of the modern rock fusion music out of Latin America these days is this guy named Santo Lea. Uh, he's worked m- most notably with the band Cafe Tacuba. One of his other artists uh, you're going to hear on this particular song that I'm going to play, uh, Julieta Venegas. She sings the vocals on over the top of this track. And, and what uh, this band does is they combine these tango rhythms, these ethnic rhythms of Latin America with uh, modern electronic music. So you'll get everything from accordions to turntables electronic music over the top of traditional folk instruments. And a a wonderful hybrid that you can hear on this record, Mar Dulce. It's been remixed with additional tracks for the American market this year. And here's a track from it, Pa Bailar, with Julieta Venegas on lead vocals on Sound Opinions.
Bajo Fundo is the name of the band, and Pa Bailar is the name of the track. That is my last Buried Treasures. What's your wrap-up, Jim? A little bit less of a mouthful, Greg, but I want to play something from the second album, appropriately called Two, from Darker My Love. This is a quartet based in Los Angeles that features two members, uh, the band leaders, uh, Tim Presley and Andy Grinelli, who uh, also did Time in the Fall, one of the many modern fall ensembles that are backing up Mark E. Smith, that uh, great English post-punk. But Darker My Love is their labor of love, and it's equal parts of the British shoegazer sound, you know, bands like Ride and Swerve Driver and My Bloody Valentine, and the kind of California take on that, which has been more successful and also a little bit hipper, talking about the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club or uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre or the Warlocks. For my money, Darker My Love, especially on this album too, is better than any of them. I mean, they have better songs, stronger songs, much heavier melodies, and a great sound that they ask us, please don't refer to as psychedelic, but really, no other word does it justice. It is, it's trippy, it's otherworldly, it's ethereal, it transports me, and uh, the song I'm going to play is called Blue Day. Here it is by Darker My Love on Sound Opinions. up another installment of Buried Treasures that's Darker My Love, Blue Day on Sound Opinions. Open up, open up, open your eyes. Time, it's time, it's time to rise. Okay, let's take it slow. You ain't got no place to go. I cried a million tears. I wasted a lot Life was so dead Life 
That is a song called Oxygen to the Brain by Brian Wilson from his new solo album, That Lucky Old Son. It's the first proper solo album from Wilson since 2004, and we may not even count that one as a solo record. It was his attempt to remake and finish, finally, after all these years, Smile. Greg, when it comes to the great romantic myths of rock history, I think few are more enduring or uh, arguably consistently untrue than, quote, Brian is back. (laughs) Wilson famously suffered a mental meltdown brought on by drugs and mental problems in about 67 after finishing Pet Sounds in the middle of attempting to complete Smile when uh, he withdrew from the spotlight and went to his sandbox in his mansion and basically has never really returned, although we've had one campaign after another through the years saying... Brian is back. In the mid-70s, the Beach Boys were doing it. Brian is back. There was even a song by that name written by the vile Mike Love, who continues to play state fairs across (laughs) America. In the 80s, it was Dr. Eugene Landy, the psychiatrist, who decided, hey, I'm going to write songs with Brian Wilson and manage him while I'm treating him. Lately, Wilson has come back. He's performed all of Pet Sounds, backed by large uh, bands of of mostly young musicians, and he's put out that Smile album. His uh, main collaborator on that in the 60s, and again recently, was Van Dyke Parks, the lyricist and arranger, but even more so than Parks, a young keyboardist and multi-instrumentalist named Scott Bennett. He's the driving force behind this record, which is a 17-track conceptual disc of love songs to... Southern California, the uh, Los Angeles that spawned Brian Wilson, the man, of course, who was the voice of a generation, sun and fun and girls and cars. That was the Beach Boys. What is Brian Wilson giving us now? And more importantly, is it true? Is Brian back? He's saying he is. That's actually one of the lyrics here. I'm I'm back, he says, drawing shades of kind blue skies. Let's see if that holds up on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. We're going to play a song first called Midnight's Another Day, which is uh, actually about the dark years that Wilson suffered, where he was withdrawn from the spotlight and arguably withdrawn from humanity. Here it is, Brian Wilson from That Lucky Old Son on Sound Opinions. Lost my way the sun virgin stepped over grace and stood in sin. Took the dive but couldn't swim. A flag without the only darkness the whole day through took the diamond from my soul and turned it back into gold all these voices all these memories made me feel like stone All these people
Midnight's another day from the new Brian Wilson record, That Lucky Old Son. Jim, one of the reasons that I think people have been talking about Brian's latest comeback is that he has put together this this exquisite band and done his masterpieces, Pet Sounds and Smile, in their entirety in concert. So there was a sense of, you know, looking back on this uh, guy who was an amazing composer at one Mm -hmm. time, writing these really elaborate concept works. People are talking about this as part three of the trilogy, which is really an insult to the first two parts, as far as I'm concerned. This is no way, in any way, shape, or form on the same level as a Pet Sounds or a Smile. What it is is a, a, a nostalgic look back at L.A., as you said, but it takes a long time for this, this record to build up any sort of emotional resonance. It's weighed down by these really cornball narratives written by his longtime songwriting partner, Van Dyke Parks, who in his own right is a, is a brilliant musician. But he's I, really I, would, I would differ with that. I think he's one of the most overrated characters well, in rock history. I, I would say that the record that Wilson and Van Dyke Parks made in the mid-90s called Orange Crate Art, which was primarily Parks' project, mm. uh, was, was far superior to this particular record. But the point being that Parks' narratives are being read by Wilson and they sort of weigh down this record in the middle. There's these incredibly embarrassing songs like Mexican Girl. I mean, oh my God. The record, for some reason, takes its turn near the last quarter of it, and there's two or three songs at the end of the record that hold up with some of Wilson's best work, and I think that song in particular, the one that we just played, Midnight's Another Day, stands up with with great Brian Wilson. That is Brian addressing this emotional turmoil that he'd been in for 30 years, and and we're talking about him looking out the other side and sort of directing that head-on in this beautiful ballad. But I think that's far too little to justify this long, soggy, in some cases embarrassing record. From my standpoint, Jim, burn that one song, Midnight's Another Day. But the rest of this record, i got to say trash it. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, and I will agree. This is a trash it record. Despite the many uh, laudatory hosannas you've read in the press, I don't know how rock critics fall time and time again for this Brian is back mythology. They apparently do it without ever listening to the music. I love Pet Sounds. It's one of the greatest albums ever made. It would be on my short list of three albums to take to the desert island. However, wishing that Brian was capable of making that music doesn't make it so. And the fact that he is consistently uh, teaming up with with B-level people. I mean, I think this is a Scott Bennett album. Mm -hmm. Who is Scott Bennett? Nobody's going to buy his records, okay? They will buy Brian Wilson's record. I I don't know how much of Wilson talking about all these voices, these memories that make me feel like stone, his dark past, okay? I don't know how much of it he's actually writing, Greg. When we see Wilson today, when we interview Wilson today, this is very much a deer caught in the headlights. He is not happy to be in the room. He does not talk about his past. He doesn't really talk, it must be said, sensibly. I I don't know if Brian Wilson ever came back from that horrible trip he Mm -hmm. took. And there are people around him who take advantage of that name, the fact that it's a name that sells records and it's one of the greatest uh, artists of his generation and they slap it on on things that I don't know if he I don't know if he made this record if he did make this record he's cashing in on nostalgia for the past without anything new to say and if he didn't make this record it's a despicable con either way it's a trash it record I agree with you 
Unfortunately, a double trash it for Brian Wilson. But uh, next week, we've got something we were excited about. Joan as Policewoman, a very interesting performer, uh, classically trained in violin and piano, making a fine career as a pop balladeer. Greg, we have some thank yous to say. Sound Opinions is produced, as always, by the ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and intern Dylan Peterson. And, of course, our fearless leader, our executive producer, is Tori Southside Malatia, our own rock and roll Jesus. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, this is Mike from Philly. Good show, Greg and Jim. I was just listening to The Wedding Picks. Um, I once sat through a wedding where during the meal... The DJ decided to go through not just one song, but all the songs from Side A to Side B of Hootie and the Blowfish's first album. And this wasn't in the 90s. This was 2004, 2005. It was bad then, and it was pretty bad now. And to sit there through a whole wedding meal, and I finally went up to the DJ and said, Listen, man, I understand one song, but the whole album, he looks back and he says, You don't like Hootie and the Blowfish? Only want to be with you. I don't know, but I guess the other side, my wedding, my wife and I danced to Unison by Bjork for our first song, and it seemed to confuse our guests there as well. Whatever, I guess uh, everybody has different tastes. Anyway, take it easy. Bye. Hi, this is Sherry from Waukegan, Illinois, and I just wanted to comment on the wedding playlist. I know a lot of 80s babies who requested uh, the David Bowie song from the Labyrinth soundtrack um, as their first bride and groom dance. Uh, that is, As the World Falls Down, it's a beautiful song, and just because it's from a Jim Henson Muppets movie doesn't make it any less pretty. I love you guys on Sound Opinion. Thanks. As it Hello, my name is Charles Edward Stanfield, calling from Chicago, Illinois, Mighty Humble Park. Uh, your show on the 12th about music for weddings. I'm going to get remarried again, but uh, after we kiss and say I do, and we turn around and walk towards the massive audience of people, we would play the David Bowie song, You My Wife. Our first dance song will be the uh, wonderful song, Love Ballad by LTT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That puny little Jeffrey Osborne got some pipes on him, boy, I'll tell you.
Take care, man. Have a great day. Bye. here from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm finding as the summer comes to a close that my thoughts are returning to your best songs of the summer show, and I think I've got the perfect track for Jim that embodies his special love of the hot season and all the great stuff that goes along with it. And you know, I thought I was going to be really clever and mention a band you don't usually play on the show, but you beat me to the punch last week and played Punk Rock Girl. My track is the beach song off of Dead Milkman's Big Lizard in My Backyard, and here's a sample of the lyrics. Sand is hurting my tender feet. The air smells like rotting fish and solar cane. I hate the people on the beach with their towels and umbrellas. They're so insane. And the chorus repeats, I don't want to be on the beach. No fun. Sounds like Jim to a T. Love the show, guys. Thanks. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.